Audrey, and you're listening to Sagwood's podcast. And radio show. With, With our dad, Jeff Shulman. I'm Jeff Shulman, a professor at the University of Washington's Foster School of Business, and it is my pleasure to bring you another episode of Seattle Growth Podcast and Radio Show. This season is focused on bringing together diverse perspectives on how Seattle will emerge from these challenging times, while sharing stories of personal and professional adaptations to the pandemic. In last week's episode, you heard from two industries hit hard by the pandemic, retail and restaurants. You heard from the president and CEO of Ben Bridge Jewelers, Lisa Bridge. That's what this time has shown a light on, is how important those human connections are. And that even during this challenging time, love doesn't stop. And, and we're lucky to be in a business that creates joy in the world. And I think that's what we need today more than ever before. You heard from the president of Moctezuma's Restaurants, Bernie Garcia. You gotta have some cash uh, saved up. You know, you always have to have a little safety net because you just never know. This week's episode, incidentally, has a supersonics theme. You will hear from NBA champion and former GM and CEO of the Seattle Supersonics, Wally Walker. Walker gives an update on his quest to bring an NBA franchise to a Soto Arena and shares his perspective on whether the pandemic makes it more or less likely that Seattle gets an NBA franchise. You will also hear from longtime Seattle Growth Podcast listener Josh Shea. Shea and his dog were decked out in Sonics gear when I met him on his outdoor deck, and he shared the changes he is seeing in his South Lake Union neighborhood. He also has a plea for the listeners and chimes in on what he hopes a return of the Sonics would mean to the community. Both guests share their outlook for the future of Seattle. I was able to conduct these safe, socially distanced interviews thanks to the kind folks at KBFG Radio. Combined, these interviews share some positive aspects of life during a pandemic and offer distinct perspectives on the changes in Seattle. The stories offer insights that can help you build the future that you want to see for yourself, your business, and your community. If you've been enjoying this season of Seattle Growth Podcast, please let me know by leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or reaching out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman. I've been motivated to keep bringing diverse voices to you by the fans who have expressed what this podcast has meant to them. So reach out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman, share the podcast with friends and colleagues, and let's keep this energy going through the end of the year. Now, join me in a conversation with NBA champion Wally Walker. I am here with Wally Walker. He was the former GM of the Seattle Supersonics, uh, part of a team working to bring the Seattle Supersonics back to an arena in Soto, and three-time guest on Seattle Growth Podcast. Wally, thank you very much for joining me today. Great to be here, Jeff. Good to see you again. You know, we've had so many people who are new to Seattle, so why don't you just start by telling me a little bit about yourself. I got to Seattle in 1977 because I got traded here. I was playing for the Portland Trailblazers, and they sent me up I-5 to play for the Sonics. Played for five years, five really good years in, in Sonics history. We won a championship in 79. Uh, I was traded to Houston from here. Then when they wouldn't pay me anymore, uh, I went to Italy for a year. Played actually with Mike D'Antoni, now a well-known NBA coach. I was just in touch with him. Uh, when they wouldn't pay me anymore, I went to graduate business school at Stanford. Got an MBA, took a job on Wall Street in 1987 at, with Goldman Sachs. Uh, and then left Goldman Sachs to start a money management firm of my own in San Francisco and had the doors open a couple of months and got a call from Seattle. Would I be interested in talking about a front office job with the Sonics? I'd been doing the Sonic broadcast the previous two years. And I said, well, not really. Uh, I just started this business. Well, 
the more I said that, the more they said, we got to have that guy. He's the one who said no. <laughs> so I ended up coming up, obviously, in 1994, and I've been here since. I was uh, general manager just on the basketball opera- operation side for seven years, and then moved over to the business side. Uh, Rick's son became the general manager, and he reported to me, but he was running basketball operations. So I was 12 years as president of the Sonics. Uh, my tenure with the Sonics was, was done when the team was sold. Uh, that wouldn't have worked uh, with the Oklahoma City guys and me, and we both knew it. So that was the right outcome. Um, took a year off and then started my own money management firm uh, in uh, the beginning of 2008. Been doing that ever since. I want to talk about the pandemic, and it's been tough for everybody, but curious how you've been coping either personally or professionally with all that the pandemic is bringing. Personally, it, it's been fine. Uh, generally good, and actually been some silver linings. We have three kids in their 20s. Uh, two were in college in the spring and one was in grad school and they were all home with us. So we had dinners together. They weren't on their cell phones all the time, just some of the time. So we had great family time. We, we learned Mahjong together. Who knew Mahjong? I, I, I had no idea, but we played it. And there we were sitting around as a family. So that w- w- was really nice. Um, my office, I was downtown for a decade, but I'd moved that uh, uh, to a structure just away from our house. So it really is a standalone office structure. So for the last couple of years, I've been there. And with the pandemic hitting, I really didn't have to adjust at all on my workflow. Uh, so that, that part's been, been easy. Um, it's been rare. This is an outing for me, Jeff, to be here with you to come to the beautiful University of Washington. Uh, I've stayed really close to home. We, we, we've got some uh, area there and we've got, we've got a yard. I spent more time in the yard this spring and I did in the, the previous 20 years combined. Uh, not good for the yard, but, but it was good for me. It was good catharsis for me. Uh, in, in general, it's been okay. Uh, if I couldn't play golf, maybe I wouldn't think that, but uh, I, I play mediocre golf and I've played it a lot to, this summer. And can you talk about any aspect of being in the Seattle area that has made navigating a pandemic better than it otherwise could be? It, it sounds like you've been staying home ma- mainly, mainly, but is there any aspect of Seattle itself? Yeah, Seattle a, couple, a couple of things have struck me. One, the, the generosity of the people that live here. They, they want to do the right thing. There are, of course, exceptions. There are exceptions to everything. But for the most part, the people here want to help one another, uh, stay healthy, get it right, and, and be thoughtful. And, you know, I'm reminded of that every day even when, when I don't travel far, far from home. The other thing that I was reminded of, well, a couple of things, actually, the beauty of this place. You know, when I'm home and not you know, stuck on a freeway somewhere or just, you know, looking around, this place is spectacular. And uh, we all know it, we, part of the reason we live here, but yeah, being reminded of it uh, more often is okay, too. Other thing I've been reminded of, and I, I think it's a real plus that we, we should never lose sight of or take for granted, is our, our medical care here uh, is tremendous. It's as good as there is in the country. Uh, you know, the, the dedicated professionals and uh, they're close by and uh, I've had a couple uh, reasons to, to visit them and uh, as have family members and the, the Medicare is terrific. So may we not test that any, any further, but uh, to the degree we have to, it, it's great to be reminded of that. And are there any aspects of Seattle that have made navigating the pandemic harder than it otherwise could be? Well, I used to love to go downtown. My, my office was right in the, the heart of downtown for 10 years. And downtown's not a place to go these days. And uh, that's a shame because we had a great, vibrant downtown. And, of course, the pandemic has a lot to do with it. But we had some other issues before that. So we've we got to get at that because that, that worries me for Seattle's future. 
And we're going to get to Seattle's future in a minute, and we'll also talk about other changes that, that you've seen. Uh, but first, new this year, you're, you're a three-time guest on Seattle Growth Podcast, but new this year, I'm doing trivia. So oh. asking the guests uh, trivia, and there's no stakes here, so there's no pressure. <laughs> this one comes from actually Paul Beyer, who started listening to Seattle Growth Podcast the season I did on what a return of the Sonics would mean to yeah. Seattle. He, he gave me this trivia, which is uh, a team here won the Little League World Series, a team in the region, and uh, they had they knocked off Taiwan, who had won. Kirkland. Ah, okay. Come so, on, come on, Jeff. Yeah, yeah test me a little bit here. <laughs> Can't even get you give me other clues about it. <laughs> so, so your guess is the Kirkland uh, Little League? Yes, team? it is. And what year? Okay, now that's a little testier. Uh, I'm going to say 1990, but it, it's not, not with any degree of confidence. I think it was just around then. All right, so the question is... Uh, which little league local little league team knocked off Taiwan, uh, who had won five straight titles, and what year? And the answer from Wally Walker here is Kirkland Little League team, and his guess on the year is nineteen ninety. It's a guess. It's uh, a guess. Nineteen ninety. So we'll come back to that All in a right. little bit. Keep right. you and the listener in suspense. <laughs> but you said it with such confidence. I think the listener is suspecting that it might be Kirkland that you might be right. But uh, <laughs> we'll come back to that. Transitioning back to Seattle. What changes have you observed in these last nine months that have affected you personally or professionally? Yeah, uh, just the the knowledge that you know we can carry on in, in the face of what is the worst pandemic, touch more people in a hundred years, and we've been able to adapt and adjust, and, and people have been great, and we're not out of the woods by any means. Everyone knows that. Uh, but but I have hope. I, in fact, I got on a commercial flight uh, just a couple weeks ago, hadn't been on one since early March, and people were so thoughtful about each other and their space, and the airlines were so well prepared. Alaska Airlines, you know, our local airline, uh, it, it gave me confidence. I, I have no trepidation about getting back on a, on a commercial flight. So the other thing I, I mentioned uh, to an, answer to another question, but I'll repeat it. Uh, family time, we still have two adult kids at home. And we have had more time with them than you ever get with 20-somethings. So we've really been you know, involved in their lives, I think, in a good way and a not, I hope, a hovering uh, parental way. <laughs> They'd be better, uh, have better answer to that than, than, than their, their dad would. But it's been really nice to spend that time. Now, one got a job and one's interviewing you know, right now for a job. So we may lose one soon to you know, go into another city. Uh, but just to have that kind of family time with fewer distractions. For the period of time there was no sports on TV or any current sports, uh, you know, we, we really did things together that we, we never would have dreamed of or, or found time for. And what about any changes you've seen in Seattle area that are impacting you negatively? Well, I'll go to one positive because I was just reminded of it, driving down here to, to get together with you too. The, the, the traffic is much better. Uh, so there, there we go. Um, but I, I haven't gone downtown except for a couple of times. And one negative impacts me indirectly, but I feel really bad for the person uh, who I, I got the email from. I'll describe that. I've gone for a decade to the same place in the middle of downtown to get my hair cut. Uh, it, it called Simone David. Simone is the entrepreneur, has a great shop. And she sent out this email that basically said, hey, if you regular customers don't come back, I'm in trouble here. 
people aren't coming downtown. Uh, the occupancy of, of my old city center building is kind of 10%. So, you know, please come back. And now I felt really guilty because I hadn't gone for for months. Uh, and so I, w- I went back downtown uh, and, you know, great to see them. I hope she makes it because she's a wonderful entrepreneur. And But to, to worry about her and, and all the small entrepreneurs, with a lot of friends who run restaurants and to see places boarded up downtown, and not to have the energy and the vibrancy that we've come to know and love in downtown Seattle. That's a huge loss for our region. Some of it will come back with the pandemic, but we've got to do some other things too to make people feel you know, safe, welcome when they are downtown. So back when I talked to you for season two of Seattle Growth Podcast, looking at what a return of the Seattle Supersonics would mean to Seattle, uh, you were in a group with Chris Hansen, Russell Wilson, uh, Eric and Pete Nordstrom, trying to bring the Sonics to an arena in Soto. Right. Uh, you still, your group still has the property down there where the yes. arena could be built. I've actually added to the property. So we have about 14 acres down in the Soto area. And so how have the recent changes in Seattle affected that portfolio and your prospects for building an arena there? Yeah, I'll start with just the real estate side. And frankly, we've gotten very lucky. Chris Hansen and I got together in 2011. We've been at this over nine years in, in assembling the property and, and trying to attract an NBA team. Of course, in 2013, we bought and had a signed deal to bring the Sacramento Kings here. And, and we know what happened. That, that unraveled. Uh, didn't get permission uh, from the NBA to, to do so. But just point out the fact we've been at it for a long time. As we've acquired the real estate, the real estate market in, in that area in particular, and in general in, in this area, has done well. So we, we've gotten lucky. We've had a good return on our uh, original investment, but it also generates a lot of cash uh, so that we don't have to fund losses like a lot of real estate developers need to do. Now, we're not developers, but it's nice to have property that you're just, if you're holding on to see if, if an arena is going to be a possibility to attract an NBA team, to know you're not having to, to, to fund losses. So anyway, it's been a, been a really good investment for us. But the reason we got into the investment, and for which we've gotten lucky, I'll repeat that, is to have a, the, the right place for an NBA owner to say, I want to come to Seattle, and, 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 that's, and that's a perfect location, which we think it is. Now, it doesn't mean an owner will see it that way, but we want to still have that possibility available to them. And have the last nine months of the pandemic impacted that portfolio? Uh, there is more occupancy now, uh, you know, small tenants everywhere, including our properties, are struggling. Uh, a lot of them just don't have any revenue, and that's just the, the reality of where we are. So, yeah, we, we've had some people that have not been able to, to pay. Having said that, uh, most, most are, and some of the ones that, you know, haven't been able to keep their businesses going, there have been other people that come in to, to fill the void. So, uh, there are success stories out there and small tenants that are flourishing, but it, it, it's tough. And uh, until we're, we're through this, there are going to be a lot of the, the smaller guys that are just hurting. And, and, and we've tried to be helpful to them and work with them, too, so that, uh, you know, help to mitigate you know, their hardships as landlords. And I want to transition now to the future of Seattle. Uh, but first, you know, we have to talk about the Sonics for just a little bit more. Yeah. Uh, if you and your group are able to bring the Sonics back, or if the, the group down with Climate Pledge Arena is able to bring yeah. back the Sonics. For so many people, you know, thousands upon thousands of people have moved to Seattle after the Sonics were gone. Can you talk a little bit about what you think a future with the Seattle Supersonics would look like and, and what that would mean to this community? Yeah. 
Well, first of all, let me say if uh, an owner wants to go to the, the, the Seattle Sun Arena, Climate Pledge Arena, and that's uh, his or her choice, that, that's great by us. Our goal was and is, let's get the NBA and, and the Sonics back here. Uh, if somebody wants a standalone arena in, in Soto and wants contiguous real estate uh, possibility, then we may be the right choice. But whatever the choice is, is the right choice, great, let's get the Sonics back here. Now, uh, I've said this often, and I'm going to say it again. The Sonic crowd was the most diverse crowd gathering in Western Washington. And you can't replace that. You, you just, when you have that kind of crowd and, and gathering, pu people pulling together, you, you can't, it's it such great things for your social fabric as a community. You can't replace it. We have other great sports, great owners, great facilities here, uh, but the Sonics crowd was the most diverse. So that is a great aspect. And to have you know that as a gathering, uh, particularly here in the winter, uh, is just a great asset we, we have to get back. Uh, we all knew it at the time before the Sonics left in 08, but now the void in the 12 years they've been gone, I, I think has really pointed to the fact it, it was a loss we, we knew was going to be a loss, but it's worse than I think most people, I'll, I'll put myself in that camp, thought at the time. It, it just it, it is a huge void. And for a city that aspires to be, and in some ways already is a world-class city, and of our size and prosperity, not to have an NBA team, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous for us. It's ridiculous for the NBA, frankly. So we, we got to solve that. And if you are a betting person, do you think it'll get solved in the next five years? Or do you think the pandemic is causing some major damage to the NBA model that would make it more challenging? You know, interesting time and time for that question. It's a double-edged sword. The NBA has been focused on putting on games. They did a, 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 a beautiful, incredible job in the bubble in Orlando to have a season and, and to re-engage with the, the, the hardcore NBA fans. So all good. And, and it was all new territory for them to have to come up and solve problems and do it the way they did it was spectacular. So credit to them. So, and their heads have been down worried about that. But the, the, the good side of the equation and what's going on now is the revenue model for the NBA has taken a hit. The in-arena revenues, of which last year there were only some at the beginning of the year before the pandemic struck, and prospectively for this year, well, historically, in recent years, it's about 40% of a total team's revenue. So if fans aren't going to the games, and if they do, there'll be a limited number, I think at least for the, as far as we can see, to take 40% of the revenue away from a team and a league is a huge hit. So what does that mean? Well, teams, none of which were losing money before, was one of the reasons why the NBA hasn't been anxious to expand, because owners were saying, well, why are we going to bring another team or two and, and, and take a, a hit on part of our league-wide revenue? If it's one team, it's a little over 3%. If it's two teams, it's a little over 6% of my annual revenue from the NBA goes away. So why do that? Well, guess what? Now, a lot of teams are going to lose money because their revenue's down and, and their costs aren't going to drop in, in, a, in an equitable way with their, their revenue. So historically, the NBA, it's not a sure thing, but when the operating uh, situation isn't as conducive to, to profitability for a team or an owner, uh, expansion has come to, to, onto the front burner. And if you look at, at all the recent expansions, they've, they've come around recessions. And uh, here we are. Uh, we may get out of a recession. We're seeing signs for that. But the operating model is going to be challenging for the near future and, and who knows how long for the NBA. So, so agree that 
the owners may look at it and say, well, I can get a huge expansion fee and help mitigate my losses uh, and help me operate my franchise. That may be much more attractive than it was before the pandemic. And now let's turn future of Seattle. Let's go back to the, this region. Um, you said you talked about some of the negative changes that you've seen uh, as you head downtown. Is there anything that you would like to ask of the listener that they could do to help build a better future for, for the city in this region? Well, I think we got to find a way to incentivize, and I don't know if it's through the politicians, but it probably is, your prospective entrepreneur, your, 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 your Simone, her barbershop, your restaurateur, uh, your small business, your hospitality uh, folks, to go back downtown. I mean, what's, what's their incentive right now to take a, a gamble and a risk when they're not sure about the safety of, for their customers or, or for their merchandise? If you're a retailer and you worry somebody's just going to come in and take, take your stuff and, and, and you have you know, no recourse uh, legally to, to, to get it back or to enforce it, what's the incentive to get those people to come back downtown? Because we need, we need all that. We, we need residents. Uh, we need full-time residents living downtown, which I think is more challenging now because people aren't feeling as safe as they once were. We need entrepreneurs back there. We need retailers uh, and restaurants. So the incentives that, that can be provided you know, may come you know, through, the, through the government, through the uh, city government specifically, uh, so the more we can encourage you know, uh, people economically to you know, want to come back downtown, I think is, is, is the path to getting there quicker. And let's talk about what you expect for the future of Seattle. You know, we had an unprecedented amount of people and money moving in in the last decade, so much so that you were one of two groups seeking to put over half a billion dollars into an yeah. infrastructure, into a, an arena uh, to capitalize on, not capitalize, but at least to... Uh, the, that needs, you know, that investment needs people and money here in the city. What do you think for the next 10 years? Do you think it's going to continue to grow and continue to be a place that people are willing to invest so much money into? Uh, I believe so. Uh, the, the, the vibrancy uh, of downtown is an issue. If we don't get that back, I think there'll be less incentive for people to come here. People love gathering. When we're allowed to again, when our, when our health edicts allow us to do so, uh, getting together at great restaurants and entertainment options in, in, a, in a downtown area is, is why people get attracted to urban areas to begin with. We need that back. We need there, there to be an economic incentive for uh, people to want to come and make those investments. But when you look at it, and to the degree we anybody can look at 10 years, we still have one of the most beautiful places uh, in the world. We still have some of the best companies, if not the best companies in the world here. They're going to continue to hire and uh, attract you know, uh, dynamic people. Out of those large successful companies, we've seen this here. We certainly see it in the Bay Area. But also we see entrepreneurs who want to, want, want to do their own thing, uh, who have learned you know, what it takes to larger companies spin out and, and start companies. We've got a venture capital base. We've got a great university where we're standing here uh, to, to feed entrepreneurs uh, and our medical infrastructure, which is a real strength. So there are plenty of reasons people are still going to be attractive to this region, but let's not take them for granted, particularly that entrepreneurial spirit that I think, from what I know, and I got here in the late 70s, uh, really drove Seattle in, in the 50s and 60s. That's how we get to World's Fair, which put us on the, the, the map in a lot of ways. And a lot of people with a can-do attitude, which then we've had 
with our great entrepreneurs that started our great companies uh, through the 80s and 90s as well. So uh, let's, and maybe I'll point to the politicians, let's not assume that you know, they're always going to want to be here if you're taking them for granted or if they feel they've not been treated fairly. And now let's talk next 10 months. So you say 10 years, there's a lot of reasons for, for hope and optimism. Next 10 months, what do you see for the future of Seattle? Oh, I, I'm on the board of Seattle Golf Club, and we just had a little meeting last night. We don't know if we're going to be able to serve food and beverage uh, indoors in, in February. So I think to the degree I can look out 10 months, and I, I really can't, uh, what, what are the rules going to be? What are we allowed to do? What, what should we do? Should we even shake hands in 10 months? I, I don't know the answer to that. Should we ever shake hands again? That's a longer-term issue. Uh, but I think we just need to get along, stay healthy uh, as best we can day-to-day, and hope we get a, a therapy, a vaccine, or both, herd immunity, whatever you want to call it, so we can get back to normal. Until then, we just got to deal. And I want to get a chance for you to give concluding thoughts, but first I have to give you the answer to the trivia question. You were spot on. It was the Kirkland Little League uh, team that won the the Little League World Series, and the year was 1982. Okay. So 1982, uh, they they beat Taiwan. I I, I was here. I was playing for the Sonics in 1982, so I I really should have gotten that. (laughs) Cody, what was the pitcher's name? Cody... Oh, this is, I, I got this trivia from Twitter. I, okay, uh, all right. All right. I, I was, did not know this until yesterday. <laughs> so we both learned something. Okay. Uh, you learned yeah. the year. Uh, I learned well, that this we'll, whole thing we'll happened. We'll look up the picture. I, th- I think it was Cody, but I, I'm, uh, his last name also escaped okay. me. You uh, go, Cody. But now you can speak to this. You won a championship with the Supersonics. What the excitement was in this region. Well, I really felt, and, and with the benefit of history and looking uh, in retrospect, and more hearing it from other people because we're in 79, we're a bunch of young guys in, in our early mid-20s, and it, it, it's great, it's fun, but we don't have a perspective because most of us were brand new to, to Seattle as well. I've heard people say, locals, who, who, folks I really respect, say that the Sonics winning in 79, the NBA championship, uh, had a huge impact not just for sports and sports fans in the, in the, in the city and region, but uh, overall, for ha- how we reviewed, again, I'm I'm not the best judge of that, but I have heard it, and uh, if if that's true at all, I, you know, it touches me. So now, any concluding thoughts? We live in a great city. We live in a great area. Uh, here we are standing here with the, the trees on campus, University of Washington, and I'm I'm struck by still the possibilities. I've got three kids in their 20s that are starting their careers, and you you think about what a great opportunity whether they're here or elsewhere. And the pandemic, I think, has regrounded us, our family, and I think people in general about what's important. If we can take the lessons we learned from the, the, this terrible period of time, and, and really terrible for people who've been affected health-wise and their businesses, well, a lot of people have, have lost their businesses, you know, horrible, uh, and apply them, uh, we can come up through this, uh, the other side in, in, in a better place. Wally, thank you very much for joining me yet again on Seattle Growth Podcast. I appreciate your time and perspective. Always a pleasure. Thanks, Jeff. Next up is an interview with you. Well, not you exactly, but someone just like you. Someone who has been listening to Seattle Growth Podcast and was interested in sharing his perspective on life in a pandemic and the future of Seattle. Before I get to this interview, I wanted to update you on the UW Foster the Product series that I have launched at the UW Foster School of Business. Former UW Husky football coach Chris Peterson 
will be the keynote speaker in the series on February 4th. If you are a product manager interested in learning how to lead teams and align stakeholders toward a common vision, you won't want to miss a chance to listen to one of the all-time greats. Peterson led Boise State to multiple undefeated seasons and led the Huskies to multiple Pac-12 championships. And on February 4th, 2021, he'll share insights that product managers can use as they lead product teams and align stakeholders to successfully bring products to market. To be among the first to learn how to register for this event, join the UW Foster the Product group on LinkedIn. That's UW Foster the Product group on LinkedIn, open to anyone pursuing a product-focused career. Now, switching gears, join me as I sit down with Josh Shea. I am here with Josh Shea. Josh Shea has, I met on Twitter after season two of Seattle Growth Podcast, where I was looking at what a return of the Sonics would mean to Seattle. And if you look at the blog post on seattlegrowthpodcast.com, you will see he is quite the Seattle Supersonics fan. Josh, thank you very much for joining me today. Happy to be here. I, I think you're the first Seattle Growth Podcast listener Twitter follower to guest conversion. So thank you so much for being here. Yeah, of course. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so I've, I've actually only been here in Seattle for six years, uh, moved here from Kansas and I actually still work for my company in Kansas. I was set up back then to where I was able to work from anywhere else. So I'm, I've already been pretty used to the whole remote work situation. Um, but yeah, since being here, I've kind of settled in. We're actually here at my place, and it's funny you mentioned how we met because I think you were actually the first person I contacted with when I was starting to look at buying a place because you had had another real estate person on your show. So you connected me with him, and now I'm here. Um, Work-wise, it doesn't really have much to do with Seattle, but since coming here, I've been settling in and, as you mentioned, gotten really involved with the efforts to get the Sonics back. Growing up in Kansas, I was a big Sonics fan, and so... Never imagined I would actually be living here, but now that I'm here, I've been helping do what I can to, to make that work. All right, so we are in South Lake Union, which inspired the podcast because I lived here, came back to the place that I lived uh, two years after moving away from South Lake Union, and it looked completely different. And so here we are, uh, almost unrecognizable, but just a few blocks from where I spent many of my first years in Seattle. We're going to get to the changes in South Lake Union and what you expect for the future of the changes here. But first, why don't you tell me a little bit about how you're coping with the pandemic? Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, for me, it's been relatively easy. Uh, I mean, I haven't had too much difficulty at all, given how I was already set up. And I mean, just compared to what I know other people have going through, I, I sure can't complain at all. Um, it's been interesting being here but then still kind of working in kansas so to speak to kind of like recognize the differences between how things are here versus there and that's been really interesting to hear that kind of what people's impressions there are are there of what's happening here um you know when this first started it was thought oh this is a seattle thing um in fact right when it was happening there was a co-worker of mine who's a friend he was up here and they were all freaking out about you know he's going to come back from seattle and, and give us coronavirus <laughs> And not realizing it was already all over America by that point. Um, but then other places in Kansas, they, they still, and, and you see the breakouts over the past few weeks, they're still not quite getting it and are not taking it like we are. So you've got a different perspective from the, the, your coworkers in Kansas of what they think is happening in Seattle versus what is happening in Seattle. Can you talk about any aspects of Seattle 
that have made coping with the pandemic easier for you? Yeah, I mean, and I guess not really limited to Seattle, but just the region in general. I mean, the people here, for the most part, seem to be treating this properly and are taking the right measures and are pretty accepting of, of you know, the, the cautions we have to take and are generally looking out for each other. Um, so, I mean, I'd say that's, that's the big thing is just the people here are generally of the mindset of trying to do the right thing. And have there been any aspects of coping with the pandemic here in Seattle that have any aspects of Seattle that have made it harder for you than you think it otherwise could be? Yeah. Um, I mean, I'd say politics wise, a lot of people are just kind of taking, it's like, you know, COVID is happening and thus we're, we're stopping doing anything about certain problems. And it's, there's been a lot of, you know, political theater and gamesmanship going on. And it, you know, COVID is a really easy thing to, to blame inaction on, but then you look, I mean, you can look right behind us and see tents over in the park. Literally, right as I was walking my dog before you came over, I encountered a lady who a few weeks ago, she's a homeless person and is, you know, I see her out there struggling. A couple weeks ago, she was fired up and said she was gonna kill my dog. And, um, but I see her all the time and just have to keep it moving. And it's things like that where, you know, you just know there's not gonna be any action getting taken at all. And so let's, speaking of that, any changes that you've seen in the last nine months, maybe unrelated to COVID that have impacted you? Let's start positively. I mean, I guess I, I would again say from a broad perspective, the people are still, you know, we're trying to be supportive of each other. We know that, you know, certain businesses are struggling and, you know, I, I try to do my part to support those businesses how I can. And I, I mean, I think that's a general practice of people, but um, I don't really see that you know, the city itself is doing much for us. Um, I mean, I would say maybe on a statewide level, it seems like most of the, you know, the mandates and policies that are getting set are, are well-intended and uh, science-based. So, I mean, that's good. Have there been any changes in Seattle uh, that have impacted you negatively? I guess I would say uh, some of the, you know, the homeless situations and the crime concerns and the concerns of businesses around here, uh, both large and small, as to, you know, are we gonna be able to come back the way we want to? Do we want to come back given the environment, even setting COVID aside? I mean, that that worries me both as, um, both as someone who lives here and kind of likes how things were, as well as having just, you know, bought a residence here, kind of worried about, hey, is everyone gonna leave? Is that, Did I buy at the worst possible time? So, um, I mean, nothing yet. I've you know, I'm personally kind of just resigned myself to, hey, we just got to ride this out. Let's get our vaccines and then work on getting back to normal. So as of yet, not so much a negative impact, but it's, it's concerning. And we're going to talk about the future of Seattle and what you would like to see for that future. But first, as you've been listening, you know that this year we are doing trivia. And so I have a trivia question for you. We're here in South Lake Union, not too far away from a Seattle neighborhood that is no stranger to explosive growth. Seven years before it was annexed by Seattle, the neighborhood was its own city, 4,568 residents, which was the seventh largest city in Washington. And chronic deficiencies in the water supply persuaded this city to be annexed. What is the neighborhood and what year did it cease being its own city to become a part of Seattle? So, 
Not so much from the clues, but I'm, I'm very confident it's Ballard because I still always hear people insisting that they're from Ballard, Washington and not from Seattle, Washington. Uh, as far as when, oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> I'll just throw out 1957. All right, so he goes with Ballard for 1957. You know it. The listeners know it by now. We're going to keep you both on the edge of our seats until later in the interview uh, to find out if you are correct. Now I want to switch gears to the future of Seattle. You've mentioned some of the challenges that have you nervous about what's going on. What would you like to see the listener do uh, to help create a future in Seattle that you would like to see? Um, I mean, I think for the immediate future, like, Let's all just do the right thing, COVID-wise. Um, stay home, treat 2020 like the weird year it is, and just realize, you know, you might not be having your Christmas tradition. Let's just get through this until we can get our vaccines next year. Um, solve that problem. And then once once we're there, I think, you know, I'd like to see people just pay more attention to what's going on and not just necessarily let things happen to them, you know, Follow local news. Listen to shows like this. Um, I, li- I I watch uh, Brian Callanan on the Seattle Channel. He always has the council members on there. Uh, he and the SCC Insight they have a podcast that does a good job talking about local news. So I mean, it's really easy to follow. Do that and just take some ownership and make some demands of what you want. It's kind of wild. I never really imagined myself being someone who follows local politics and all. I mean, back in Kansas, I never knew, even knew who the mayor was or anything, but. Just from watching the whole Sonic saga go through, it, it kind of has forced me to learn these names, stay more involved, and um, I mean, it really opened my eyes to not just the failures on that problem, but failures of all sorts in the city. And so let's talk about the Sonics for a moment. You know, they were last here over a decade ago. Thousands upon thousands of people have moved to the city not knowing that there is a basketball team. Maybe they knew that there was but uh, certainly not having experienced the basketball team here in Seattle. Can you just share briefly what that meant to you to follow the Sonics and what it would mean to you if they were to return? I've been a big basketball fan my whole life. Um, I, the Sonics, I just kind of fell into because, <laughs> literally it was because Dana Barrows on a video game was the one guy I could figure out how to shoot a three with. Um, so that kind of became my team back then and uh, grew up with it. And you know, and I actually, I've actually had two teams move on me because I grew up as a young kid in Kansas City. So the Kings left there, and then uh, the Sonics left here, obviously before I was here. But I mean, now that I'm back, it's it would be so fantastic because basketball of all the sports is just, I mean, it's the most popular globally as far as what we have big in America. Anyone can play it, you, even just by yourself. You get a ball and a hoop, you go play. So it, it cuts across so many demographics. Um, I mean, it would just be a great thing to have. And Seattle puts out so many basketball players locally, whether it's because of the weather or who knows what it is, but it's ridiculous that we don't have our own team right here. And now let's switch gears to the future in general. We're here in South Lake Union, and the listener could probably hear the jackhammering <laughs> in the background of construction. Construction's been the name of the game here in Seattle for the last decade. What do you see for the future? I don't know at least in the next year or so if there'll be anything going up right away i mean obviously what's happening we'll finish it off um 
it's kind of interesting. You look across over there towards uh, Denny Park, and right now you can see all the way across Westlake. Eventually, there's supposed to be a big building right there. It's kind of the lap. Right now, it holds the development center for Vulcan and the South Lake Union, but there's been a sign up there for a while saying they're going to build a big tower. And you look on their website, and it, it, it advertises this fantastic view onto Denny Park, but at the same time, you look at Denny Park, it's going to be pretty hard to market that right now because, I mean, it tents everywhere, crime going on. You saw on the news a few weeks ago, someone sticking a lit pole into a cop car. So they're going to have to get that cleaned up. But I don't, I don't think, I mean, I sure don't hope or think it's going to be just a, a vacancy and everyone flooding. Um, you know, I think people still are going to want to go to work especially the younger people that are down here that are have a lot of these jobs. I don't think they necessarily want to work from home full time because part of the attraction of living in a big city is getting to go out and about and meet people and, and uh, you know, go to happy hours that are on the ground floors of all these buildings and things like that. So, um, you know, I don't think we're going to see a mass exodus, but it might be a little bit till people kind of reacclimate and understand how to best fill those, uh, fill these buildings. And so let's say the next 10 years, you know, we've had unprecedented amount of people and money moving into the city the last 10 years. Do you think 10 years from now we'll look back and say, wow, this last decade also continued to grow? Uh, I mean, I would say not on the same level. Um, there'd probably be a little bit of a leveling off. But, you know, I mean, you look everywhere, there's cranes everywhere. It's not going to stop. Um, there may just be a, a plateau we hit over this next decade. And what about the next 10 months? What do you see for Seattle and South Lake Union in particular for the next 10 months? Probably more of how it's, well, for over 10 months. I mean, at least for until summer, I'd say it's going to be more of how, how things are now. Um, and in fact, hopefully it'll be even quieter if people are, are staying, in, you know, staying inside more and truly not gathering um, and just following all the, the recommendations. Um, but, you know, I'm kind of holding out hope that come summer it'll be vaccine time and especially with how summer's late in Seattle maybe by uh maybe by next August we can all be mingling and having a good time again all right and now uh before we get to concluding thoughts I have to give you the answer to the trivia question you were correct it was Ballard uh Ballard was annexed in 1907 so 19 what 1907 okay so uh in 1900 they had the 4,568 residents and they grew to 17,000 people by the time that they decided enough was enough, we need to be a part of the city. Uh, they actually had a vote in 1905 that failed, but then became a part of Seattle in 1907. So good job on Ballard. And now I want to give you a chance. Any concluding thoughts? Selfishly, from my Sonics perspective, I'd say go support Sonics Arena. Um, you know, the goal always was when they started and when this whole effort was going was to get the Sonics back. And it's kind of been bastardized a bit into let's get winter sports back or let's fix key arena. But I don't know that either of those two things actually solve the problem we were going for. So, um, you know, keep, keep talking to your local council people and keep supporting that Sonics arena effort. Cause I mean, I think best case, if we can get that alley down there conditionally vacated, it'll be the, the key to getting us a team and worst case, if I'm wrong, then, no foul, and maybe it'll motivate these folks at the at the key arena to get a team quicker in fear competition. And sorry, I said concluding thoughts, but I, if you could just give us a little bit more context uh, to the listener who may not have been following the Sonics Arena, where it is, what it is, and what, what you're talking about. Do you mind just giving a little bit more background 
yeah. on what you'd like to see and, and what you're talking about? Yeah, so it's been, geez, I think since 2011, 2012 or so, uh, a group of investors is, they've got a bunch of property down in the stadium district in Soto, just south of the Mariners parking garage with plans to uh, build an arena there. Um, the group actually had a deal to buy the Sacramento Kings and move them up here and that ended up falling through. The Sacramento was able to, they actually rallied around getting and keeping their team and were able to get some local ownership to take it there. Um, and then since then, kind of the, what the group's been looking for is to make sure that the city will, when the time is right, vacate that alley because that Occidental Alley that people walk down when they're trying to get to the stadiums and that's behind the strip clubs and things back there, that actually would be right where the arena is sitting. So we do need to make sure that, hey, if a team's going to be interested in this, that the city kind of won't go up the works and then throw a fit about that alley. So the group's been pushing to get that, that alley conditionally vacated, so, so to speak, that, hey, if we get a team, you guys will vacate the alley. And, and not just give it to them, sell it to them for $30, 40000000 million, whatever it was. Um, the city kind of nixed that a few years ago and, and started focusing on the renovation of Key Arena and found a group that will do that and put a hockey team in there and Live Nation concerts and things like that. But that doesn't, again, solve the Sonics issue. And, you know, in my opinion, I'm kind of concerned that that effort kind of works against getting the Sonics there for scheduling purposes and competition purposes. Um, you know, other people insist that that's a, a step to it, but they've been very clear that they won't try to get the Sonics, if, if at all, for at least five years to let the hockey team kind of put its roots down. And meanwhile, you see teams like, you know, all the time you see other, other teams that have dicey arena issues or you never know what can come up that, for a change in ownership. I mean, who would have known that, uh, what's his name, Donald Sterling would get caught on tape doing something to sell his team? I mean, every day something can happen. And I want Seattle to be ready and have this, you know, NBA-exclusive arena with great finances built in so that a team, so that we are attractive to an NBA team. We can't just rest on our laurels and say, you know, Seattle got wronged 13 years ago. So now, now the NBA has to make it right. That's not how they view it. And a guy who pays two billion bucks for a franchise is gonna to wanna to go where the money's right. And he might want his own arena and his own ability to develop the land around it. So we can't just say, hey, NBA be fair. Any other concluding thoughts you wanted to leave the listener with? Um, no, I mean, support that movement if you can. Uh, again, let's try to just all be on our best behavior to get, th- get through this COVID thing. Wear your masks, try not to travel much. Don't be hanging out in bars with the doors closed when there's a patio right there. <laughs> um, so yeah, let's get through that. And then uh, once we're all healthy and past it, let's, let's work on making the city better. Josh, thank you very much for joining me today. I appreciate your time and perspective. No problem. Thanks. That is all for today's episode of Seattle Growth Podcast. Have an opinion to share? Reach out to me on Twitter, at Prof Shulman. I enjoy hearing how listeners like you are reacting to these interviews. That's at Prof Shulman on Twitter. I hope you'll join me next week. In the meantime, I'm Jeff Shulman, and I thank you for joining me on this journey of Seattle Growth Podcast and Radio Show.